Levi McAllister and I share in a sad and strange fraternity of sorts, um, sons who have lost their fathers tragically. We also share in the way we went about processing that particular trauma, which is to move towards music and poetry. It's not just us, it's the way a lot of us process trauma, process things we're not sure how to get our heads around. It's actually the gift of music, the gift of poetry, the gift of a lot of great art, is that it actually forms in us the possibilities, the potential to name with new names, things we could not otherwise name. I've really enjoyed watching him do what he does, not just in relationship to his trauma, but in relationship to the culture around him, in relationship to his marriage, his religion. I really enjoyed this conversation with Levi the Poet, and I suspect you will as well. Check it out. How's your day? What are you up to? What are you doing? What's your What's the average day look like right now for you? Oh, right now, my day is an office filled with so many books that are just like cluttered and surrounding me and ready to get shipped out, which is a real blessing, but I'm also really excited to get them all shipped out. So yeah. <clears throat> I just have been, I was out of town last week. I was out in California actually last week and oh. I just got back and uh, have just, yeah, man, it's just me and Brandy are doing fulfillment stuff. I've got a couple of writing projects and like commission things that I've been working on. And, uh, yeah. So that's that. What are the, like, who commissions you? How's that work? Like someone reaches out and they're like, Hey, I want a thing. How's it, what's it work? How's that work for you to get a, a commission? What are they commissioning? Um, probably about five years ago, <clears throat> I started doing copywriting work on the mm -hmm. side for folks and helping with, you know, whatever they needed there, everything from web copy to email campaign stuff to, books like i wrote a book for a guy okay. and um you wrote a book for a guy what does that even mean yeah well i i basically took it's called craig brain <laughs> and uh i i i i took all of his journal entries that he had been writing over the course of the last couple of years that he wanted made into a book and so what it became was a series of essays on we split the book up into five different categories he had stuff on work he had stuff on family he had stuff on god and it was just you know this kind of compartmentalized categories with all of these sub chapters therein and um my job was to either take just everything from full-blown journal entries or just little snippets of ideas and then put them together in something of a ghostwriting kind of way. Although yeah. my name, it was like a co-written kind of thing. And so as a, as far as ghostwriting goes, it wasn't very ghosty because everyone just knew that that was what it was. But yeah, that, so that's sort of where it started. And then, um, after having done sales copy for a long time, I was like, I, I, I really like doing client copy or I really like telling stories and I really like helping, helping other people tell their stories. And I really, I'm fine with 
some of it, but I wasn't like it, you know, this on the sales and kind of persuasive copy side, it's not my favorite thing in the world. I'd much rather, I'd much rather try to convey a thing rather than to try sure. to persuade someone to have a thing. And, okay. and so in my mind, <clears throat> did you ever watch the movie, her? Oh yeah. Joaquin. Fantastic. So his, his job where he's like, where he's sitting there at, at the desk and <laughs> yes, writing letters for other people. And, yeah. you know, it was like, all right, we're in this digital world. We're going to, we're going to retain this aesthetic, meaningful thing. And here's going to be a handwritten letter on this other person's behalf to you. And I was like, man, that is, so, <laughs> I loved that. And so. <laughs> Whereas like other here, people I are like, bro, that's so weird and insincere and so foreign. You're like, I want that job. Doing the job. Well, it's so weird. You know, so t to be honest, I don't really. Maybe you can refresh me because I have wondered this um, in trying to figure out how to get it out there more that I'm doing these commission projects. But in that, like, does he actually pen the thing and the other person just says, hey, write something to this person? Or does he try to help them communicate? Like, do they give him any sort of anything to work with? Or is I don't he remember that. I actually don't remember. I, remember, I mean, he, to the best of my recollection, he it was just him from top to bottom. And it was like, yeah, he would write a thing and they would approve it. I think it was like, hey, I need a love letter to or I need an apology letter or like my dad's dying or my mom is that or what, this, that, the other. And then he would craft pretty much the whole thing. And then and, okay. and then they would approve it. That's, what, that's how I think it would work. So this is <clears throat> this this ends up being more interactive. So basically, I call these things LTPs, creative commissions, and you can you can it's it's on the front page of the website, and then you can go there. And basically, there's it explains what it is with some examples, and then there is a questionnaire, and it's like, you know, is this for an individual or um, or a couple or an organization or what is yes. this for? Because I right. also I also wanted to try to create kind of novel ways to be able to help, you know, whatever the, the company or organization or thing ended up being to kind of get their messaging across. Yes. But so you fill out what it is, who it's for, what your interests are. Um, what your likes and dislikes are, what things are most to you, what some of your favorite memories are. Um, right now I'm working on, I'm working on one for this person who wants a piece written to celebrate um, her and her husband's anniversary. And huh. so I've gotten bits and pieces of their vows. I've gotten some of their favorite memories together. So they give you, um, they give you, of, you have a little bit more flexi flexibility. You have a little bit more like room for instruction there. Like people can either say like, I don't know, write me something for my friend's dog died. I need something by Tuesday because yes. there's a memorial yes. or they could be like, Hey, um, wedding anniversary. I really need these things communicated and, uh, et cetera. You, you've got like a range. Exactly. And it's more That's interactive fine. too. So they, they'll kind of submit this, the answers to this questionnaire, which maybe has 10 things. And then that'll give me something to, to run with. So, I just wrote her back and was like, all right, you mentioned, you mentioned this, you like to read books. What books? What are your favorite authors? Why are they your favorite authors? What's your Enneagram number? What's your husband's Enneagram number? Um, you know, so we, <clears throat> I try to get, I try to really get into it. And then eventually, you know, they either, depending upon kind of, I've, I've kind of like a tier based level of packaging that's currently available. And so they can either just get a written piece or they can get a recorded piece or both, or they mm. can have one as a video. There's an option to have one if it makes sense 
that would even be a part of like an upcoming LTP release or a single or something like that. So I don't know. It's just been fun, man, because I, I, I enjoy writing, but I, I think like most creative people, uh, I have a hard time at times coming up with stuff that I think is worth writing about or that, that I'm as sold on. And so to kind of combine, you know, uh, my strong suit with another person's desire to have something, you know, meaningful and solidified for him or her or them or whatever has been pretty exciting. So that is cool. Yeah, that is cool. Are you having, are you having like, do you feel a different kind of connection to, to that work than you do writing your own stuff? Like when you get to, when you nail it, I guess it's like, like when you nail it, right? Because sometimes you you do your own stuff and it's like, it's fine. Sometimes you nail it. And there's that right. elation. Do you have that same high? Like if you if you nail someone else's work for them, do you have that same high, or does it feel more like a job? No, it's pretty exciting for me to be cool. honest. Because it, wow, it, it feels like. I mean, I've always kind of been one of those hate writing, love having written people, um, but hmm. and 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 I'm trying to. I'm trying that that's like a quote from another author. I forget who the, I forget who she is, but it, it always resonated with me. Like I've, I've been aware of and trying to work on how to enjoy the process more rather than just the finished product. Yep. Um, but that said, so, so there are definite moments like that where it's like, Oh, this is the deadline. I'm, <laughs> I'm behind it. Or oh, I've got to, I've got to do this. I've like, this has to get done, but I'm, but I, but I also I also know that I do better with deadlines, even if it feels daunting. So yeah. having that and being like, all right, we're working on a net 30 for this thing. It's going to be done whenever it's due. Yep. And then to get to give it to them. I mean, yeah, the feedback from some of these people are just like, oh, my God, like I, I, I knew you were, you know, I respected you enough to be willing to pay you to do something like this in the first place, but to receive what we got is like more than I could have asked for. And, Mm. and that's been really rad. I mean, I, I, I've written the very first one that I ever did was for this young woman who, um, was in a really dark place, had, had, had cut herself for most of her life, wanted Mm. a piece that would remind her of her, her value as a, as a human. Wow. And so, and so that was that. And now she has this thing that she can look at and, and then the next one was for this couple coming up on their 10-year wedding anniversary. And then I had this school project that I got to kind of help this organization at a local um, APS spot here in town do. So it's it's really been all over the place, and 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 that makes it that uh, it it's a challenge, and it's and it's exciting to yeah. to try to do a deep dive for these people who. I mean, especially, I, I guess I can say, especially having worked in like sales and marketing stuff for a long time to actually deliver on your promise and not just throw out some garbage that was hella easy for me to do, but that the other person doesn't know a thing or two about is yep. that's, that ends up being meaningful for me. Cause it's yep. like, no, we put our heads together and made this thing happen. There really is something to be said for that thing, right? Where 
the the phrase you used a second ago, which I think you said you borrowed from someone else, uh, that hate hate writing loved having written, like mm-hmm. not loving the process. There is the something about doing someone else's like having the altitude right from a project where you don't feel like as emotionally taxed by it or as emotionally attached to it that actually makes oh, yeah. can make the pro, the the actual process more enjoyable. It's one of the things I, I tell clients all the time. It's like, well, here's the deal. I mean, I want you to care about what you make, but at some point you have to get to some place in relationship to your own work where it feels more like a job and you have more altitude. Yeah. So you can say, this sucks. This doesn't suck. This is okay. This is not yeah. okay. This is meh. I can work with this. I need to discard this. I'll put this on later. But like that emotional attachment to my yeah. own work, it blinds yeah. me from all those metrics. And it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I care about it. And that's it. And you can't finish yeah. and it feels like a slog. And if it sucks and you care about it, that feels like hell. <laughs> it's terrible. Well, yeah. And it's, I, it's like the difference between observing my frustration about a thing versus becoming my frustration about a thing. And hmm. too often in my own work, I can become whatever the emotion that's tied up in it is versus Versus being able to view that as fleeting and observe it and Say then the come line back. Again. It was really good. Yeah. It, observing yeah. a frustration versus becoming the frustration. Yes. Yeah. Or any emotion, really. I mean, I, you know, but yeah, but you're right. I mean, that, that would just, I guess that's me empathizing with the fact that it is often much, much harder for me to feel good about something that I've come up with than to give a thing that is meaningful to another person uh, having used that same talent in that in a different way yeah that's good um you finished a book i did it's a thing um which we're going to get to we're going to talk about the book um and i think because you said you had oodles of them around i'd love for you to read some oh Um, yeah sure before we get there, you're talking to me from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I am. Uh, and uh, you were just out in California, but you're in, you're in Albuquerque now. Are you from Albuquerque? So I was born here, and yeah, this is a short <laughs> answer. I was born here. My folks' house burned down, and they lost everything while my mom was pregnant with me. So Whoa. she was so close to giving birth that. And then we all moved out to Southern California through my elementary school years, but I've been back in Albuquerque or thereabouts since middle school. Do you feel home there? Does Albuquerque is Albuquerque home to you? Because you're you you travel some at least. You're you're not on the yeah. road ex, an exorbitant amount, but you're gone off and on. You tra- yeah. you tour, you take dates. When you come yeah. back to Albuquerque, does it feel like ah oh, home, or does somewhere else feel home? <laughs> Well, in the last couple of years, I haven't toured a lot, but I actually have toured an, an exorbitant amount for the vast majority of the time that I've been doing this LTP thing and lived yeah. away from Albuquerque far more than I have lived here. Hmm. So I would say that last year, I made a decision to stay off the road, assuming I would get back to it in 2020, which no one has, of course, yeah, but... Right. Last year was probably the first time that I gave myself 
the or I I forced myself into a situation where I was either going to begin appreciating it here or resenting it more. I, mm-hmm. I if I'm completely mm. honest, I've never I've never really loved New Mexico. That really that, that has started that has started to shift. It started to shift a lot last year, and I'm I'm much more uh, I think grateful for it and maybe just life in general right what now shifted? Which so it's... so you're saying like you didn't have like an appreciation for it so it was just it was the place you were from you traveled yeah. away there was a house burning down thing but it didn't feel like home home no. and now you're you're growing in an appreciation and a sense of home what changed like what what was the shift um last year was i had I had a thought on a walk with my dog last year that it it was about to be fall and it was the first time that I had ever experienced that seasonal transition here, even though I've mm. been oh well, not the first time in the in ten years. I mean, I started touring in two thousand nine and spent a hundred to two hundred days on the road for nine years. Ooh. And so I last year was the first time that I had in my adult life been in this place for long enough to experience the entire thing. Uh, and that, that did something to me. I mean, hmm. I, I, I was in desperate need of a slowdown because I was quickly running myself dry and huh. I got to experience something refreshing about staying here that I didn't expect to. You mean having not been there through all, because we talk about, you know, romantic relationships this way too, right? Because we say things like, you know, you got to know someone for a year, know know someone through all four seasons. It sounds like you kind of need to have that kind of experience with your hometown. Yeah. Yeah, I do think you're right. I think I, I think you're right. And I think that I just I think, I, for the record, I think I'm right too, but, um, yeah, I tell, know, me, I know. tell me I'm about glad, your experience. I'm glad you, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I needed to have some sort of, it was just, it was the healthiest choice to make. And it was one that was honored, I think, hmm. um, whether that was relationally or locationally, uh, or personally. And I'm, I'm glad for it, even though it was kind of, an odd and difficult thing for me to decide to do in the first place. Yeah. Are there places in the country you've been kind of tempted to or drawn to move to feel like, Hey, if I was going to do, you know, you know, as an artist or as a parent or are there like other places that you feel like, yeah, that could be home. We could have, would have, should have made that move. Yeah. So right before we moved back to New Mexico, I lived in the Bay Area with mm-hmm. my family and I have always loved it there. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's just because it felt like the sort of coming of age freedom first taste kind of year for me mm-hmm. as a as a you know, I, I started skateboarding then and me and my next door neighbor would go out all over San Mateo and just kind of out from under my folks roof and it and I, I just have these very fond and exciting memories of it um, yeah. and and so I've all and and then a, a, probably a couple of years into doing Levi the poet as a 
thing, we got an offer to move out there, um, actually from these folks who were starting a church plant out of Sacramento. And at the time I was in retrain doing stuff with Mars Hill, I would have moved up to Seattle if that thing hadn't exploded probably at some point. Um, yeah. Although I'm very, very, very glad that I did not, uh, at this point, but I think that that offer to go out to San Francisco, which ended up falling through, um, always kind of left me wondering cause I, I loved hmm. it there anyway. So I, my, my wife's brother lives up in Mill Valley and we still, you know, I've got friends out there, so we still get to go out there a lot. And I'm, I do think that that's a thing that I appreciate about New Mexico is I, one, I don't think I could have kept doing LTP for this long if I would have lived in a place like the Bay. I just, I just don't make enough to be able to have that be a thing that, yeah, it's a real at thing. least in my brain right now, seems possible. But I do get the opportunity to travel a lot more because I am here, and that has always been kind of a saving grace to me, even when I really, really didn't like being here because I knew that it was giving me the opportunity to be able to travel, which is something that I've, I've loved for as long as I can remember. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, um, you talk about the, uh, LTP, uh, like it's an entity. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk about like, you have an online persona, you have a, a public persona, you have a private life, you have friends and fans, um, not in any sort of bad sort of way, not in any sort of like, uh, there's no critique here, but talk about like, is there, do you, do you sense a division between Levi, the poet, public figure, creator mm. person and you yeah. at home around with the crew, friends, kids, is there, a, uh, how should I say this? Yeah. Talk about those two roles for a minute. Like, is there, a, is there a difference between those personas as personas is it just a it's a different posture of the same person like how does that work for you uh, yeah i i really don't see a disconnect um and maybe that's part of why i do talk about it as though there is one because i think that it would have been that there are plenty of times where i've sort of um you know Brene Brown talks about kind of spotlighting people with yourself right. as opposed to being vulnerable in a healthy way. And I think that I've, I've kind of overstepped my boundaries at times throughout the mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to be more conscientious of that. So there's an intentionality to me, I think, talking about LTP as a as a as separate from my person, even though I don't really I've never functioned as though it is. I mean, I, you know, I mean, in regards to appropriateness, I'm sure I'm not like exactly the same kind of person that I would be with my wife or closest friends as I am on a stage or something like that. But as far as like sharing all of me, um, I, I just sort of have always done that. And for better or worse, I think that it's something that um, has been appreciated for the most part, just because, I have tried to function with some uh, sense of, of transparency or vulnerability as, as much as I feel like I've been able to. And yeah. so, uh, I, you know, Levi, the, this Levi the Poet project, the first record that I ever put out began as 
just journal entries that I recreated the performance pieces. And that's sort of, in a lot of ways, the way that it has stayed. And I think a lot of times the folks who have ended up following my work do so just as much because of the stuff that I have chosen to say or talk about as much as it being objectively artistically good, which I I don't think that it's not, but I just think that there's as much to do with sort of the conversations that I've decided to have in the midst of all of this as it, as it does with, Oh, he's a good poet or a good writer. Yeah. And, and I've always loved that. I mean, all of my favorite artists were kind of doing that. Like Connor O'Burst is probably my favorite writer and I've always loved bright eyes and, and, and (laughs) he's certainly not like the best vocalist in the entire world, but the stuff that he's chosen to say and the way that he's chosen to put himself out there and the, the rawness has, has always been something that's appealed to me and something that I've brought into my own work as well. And that just naturally is the overflow of the life that I've lived. And so, and so in that way, I don't, I've never really tried to, to create a distinction. There was, there was one time and it was about six years ago, this maybe even this month. Um, now it was earlier in the year, but I did try, I put out something, I put out a blog that said, I'm breaking up with myself. I remember this. What's up? I said, I remember this. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was just like, and and, uh, Justin, it was like the most confusing time ever because of that because then because then it was like well who am who am i and who's the artist and well i'm writing this on my levi McAllister blog but all i really care about is putting it out on the so it just turned into retweets from myself and i it was just dumb i mean it wasn't dumb it was like it was a learning experience though because i at the end of the day i just decided i i can't like accept i can't i think in general to uh, holistically and not, I don't do a good job of compartmentalization in the first mm. place. And so okay. I, 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 I was not successful at applying that to myself. Yeah. You have more of a, you, if there's a temptation for you, it's not that you, you draw that your lines are too thick, hard and black. It's that everything's it's sort that of in the same know. space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I get and marriage that. has taught me a lot, and having a wife who's literally the opposite of that has taught me a lot about how to maybe pull back the reins a little bit in yeah. in healthy ways that are still, yeah, I I, in my opinion, every bit as authentic, but not as um, not as blurry. Yeah. Does does that change online, or is it like talk about living like life online? You you are. Um... You're somewhat active on the social medias. You don't do, yeah. if I can, I think this is true. You don't do a whole lot of like shit chatting. Like you're not like in long yeah. conversations online and like Facebook debates and sure. you're present. You generate. Um, yeah. Do you like living online? Do you feel like the same person online? This is a question I ask everyone at this point because so much of, I mean, this very conversation Folks that either come to it on Facebook or Instagram because that's where we live, and then we meet people, and then we engage with humans. And most of the folks that we will know over the course of our lives are folks we literally will never be in the same state as, um, right. much less the same room. But they'll be friends. Yeah. There's something real about it. There's something not real about it. In the same way that, like you know, face to face conversations, <laughs> there's something real about it and something not real about it. So yeah. Can you talk about your your presence online, your life online? Someone for someone who uh, you care about people, 
mm-hmm. you you care about other people's stories. Um, you don't really compartmentalize your life uh, like actively or purposefully or easily. What's it like yep. for you to be an online person as well? Yeah, sure. I I have a love hate relationship with social media. I when Twitter became a thing, I remember I was interning at HM Magazine, and Doug Van Pelt, the editor, told me about this thing called Twitter that he said he was. He said it was going to be huge, and I told him he was an idiot, and then it was huge, and I loved it. It was just fun, and you made jokes, and you told people that you were eating breakfast, and it was stupid, and it was not what it is now, you know. And hmm. um, and uh, and so I, I I do think that I used to do. I still I still um, maybe it's because of whole the the holistic. I, that, I don't. I, I don't think that that's the right word. Maybe it's because of. Uh, I think some of the lack of chit chat is because I feel like I don't have as much information to go off of as I would like to in order to form or input my opinion, and therefore I am slower than others and have Mm. always decided I would be a poor journalist because it takes me a lot longer to weed to weed out and think through and come to conclusions than I feel like it takes many of my peers in this space Mm. and that's not just like you said it's it's not a critique or it's not a good or bad thing but I find myself writing about things like a month after everybody else has already written about them and and, um, yeah. and I'm, I'm kind of at a place I, I, that used to really bother me. I, I, I admit that I have, um, struggled with feeling very behind a lot of times, but I, I've kind of come to grips with that a bit more and just recognize that's just me. Hmm. And so, and I do love, I honestly do love social media. I love the interactions uh, this is a bit of an overlap from your last question, but some yeah. of the blurring of lines that I'm, um, I'm trying not, I am, I am admittedly trying not to live there as much because regardless of how much you may have seen me post, I find myself just stuck in these social holes and, huh. and like being on it or in it or observing it or allowing it to affect me. And, you know, I, <sighs> And it's odd, man, because I hear people say, well, social media is not real. And it's like, well, I, I don't that's not a good enough thing for me to just step away from it because it is re- it's an extension of the real. And in a lot of ways, I feel like people function more real e on there than it's just like it's where it's where uh, it's where all kinds of good and ugly truths of, you know, kind of come out and can can happen and I just think that um, I have to take breaks at times. Like I, I told, I we did another conversation with I think Jamie Tork. Oh uh, yeah, it was a for to right love thing, and he was yeah. asking about social media in regards to mental health. And for me, there's been times when I've taken months off, and that mm-hmm. kind of scares me because that's where I live and where my livelihood has to come from, or that's the way that it feels to me. And yet at the same time, I can tell when it's just wrecking me. And then that's affecting interpersonal relationships. And that's affecting my ability to my spaciousness, my ability to be creative. If I'm, you know, like, 
I'm sure I'm not the only one this happened to, but this year, as an example, like everything shutting down, George Floyd stuff happens. There was a big uh, kind of BLM thing that happened in Albuquerque that involved um, some close friends and family of mine. And it was like, it was very difficult to watch all of that happen. And I just found myself looking at my phone for like a month and getting yes. nothing else done. And I know that that's not helping anyone, <laughs> you know? And so I, I, I sort of take stuff a day at a time, but I, I'm not unaccustomed to doing purges of things and then kind of I mean I literally just unfollowed everyone literally everyone on Twitter all of really them. it's I'm following zero people right now and I don't huh. think that that's long term but it was just so it's, it feels just, healthier for you yeah it felt yeah and it's it does it at least for the moment because I don't because I know that it's not forever and it's I always get in my head about, well, I need to know what's going on. I want to know what's going on. I don't want to just be an escapist. I don't yeah. want to just decide I'm not going to deal with any of the things that are happening. That's never really the motivation for my making those kinds of decisions. It's more yeah. like, all right, I need a break and somewhat of a reset. There yeah. are other ways yeah. for me to figure out what's going on in the world without feeding this a probably addiction is the best word of just getting on and and getting e either mindlessly scrolling through something or absorbing everyone else's anger which yeah. has been a lot of what has happened to me over the course of the last couple of months and i just yeah. realized it's not helping me and i'm not helping any of those people either by just uh soaking in it Talk about uh, family and travel for a minute. Um, you don't feature your your kids or your wife in your social media stuff. You don't talk a whole lot about. You don't do like this kind of big public. Hey, I'm a dad thing. Um, well, I'm not a dad, so that that I mean, I have a dog. No, I'm but a dog dad. what I mean okay. is like, but that's the thing, right? Is like folks who do folks who like put their kids on online or talk about their wives a lot. Um, they is like um. Is that are there corners of your life that you're like, hey, there's only so much I want to expose here. You get this in poems. Is it like I want to protect this? Do you think too much about it? Do you think about it at all? Is like, hey, you know, this is what this is how I need my life to be work. This is how my and I I need my life to work because I'm more comfortable. Like, talk about your home life and uh, the people who aren't you. You know, insofar as yeah. there's like there's you at home and then there's you uh, out. Your yeah. home life, the folks who you know you belong to around home, uh, how big a role does that do they play for you publicly? Do they care to travel? Talk about that for a minute. Well, at some point you said, "Do you think too much about everything?" I do think too much <laughs> about everything, Justin. Yes, I think way too much historically about everything. Okay. Um, Amen. I do. Um, I mean, Brandy toured with me for all of the years that I toured. When we got married, we moved onto the road. She actually joined a band that I was traveling with a lot at the time so that we could both be out together. We dated for five years before we got married and decided we didn't get married just to be apart like we had been for a lot of those years. And so Brandy's been really involved uh, with with all of this stuff. And 
it is true that it's not as frequent of a thing for me to 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 post um about her but i definitely don't shy away from it um intentionally there's not really a thought there i mean unless it's something that i know she wouldn't want me to say about us like i said that's some of the learning of the boundaries of of things like i've definitely you know like our five-year wedding anniversary i wrote an open letter to brandy that i thought was the best thing ever and she hated it because everyone got to read it and it was like all right damn i will not do that again you know yeah, so yeah there are yeah. some of those kinds of things that i have have had to learn the hard way but um i've, I've definitely not shied away from the fact that i've I've always thought of LTP as our thing, not just my thing. I mean, when mm -hmm. she married me, she kind of, we had these conversations about we're going to, we're going to do this thing together until we both decide not to. And it's mutual. And, um, and so, so she's been a huge part of that. I mean, as far as my family, like my, my mom and my sister, I mean, they've, they've been such a huge part part of the stories that I've chosen to share. Um, at the beginning of this year, a guy from Chicago flew down and we're working on like a 10 year kind of recap docu mini documentary kind of thing. And mm -hmm. we sat down with my mom and sister because I, I, I actually have the same question as you. And I asked them like, like, have I ever written in ways that make you uncomfortable? I mean, I'm constantly mm -hmm. talking about my dad and his suicide and all of the, mm -hmm. and the way that it affected me and all, and all of our family. And like, you guys are such a huge part of all of this content. Has it ever made you uncomfortable? Cause I have never tried to, but I know that I err toward being an overly sharing person when a lot of other people would never share as much as I have. Right. And so, you know, there were, there were some things that they said, yeah, I probably wouldn't have said it that way. I probably huh. would have kept that one closer to the chest. And I guess you live and you learn. I mean, there's not animosity there, but that's, that's always been a part of my editing and thinking process going into any sort of public release. Every bit as much for this book as anything, because this book is filled, this book is like, all of the lyrics and all of the writings of, that I've released over the course of the 10 years, and then a bunch of other stuff like commentary and essays and things to accompany all of that. And that yeah. inevitably involved me having to dig back into where these pieces actually came from, which meant yeah. digging up old bones, which meant having conversations with people and saying, hey, this is, you know, my work, but it's about you or in reference to you, or I'd like to say this thing about where it came from. And I'm getting better at asking people for their permission to do that instead of just doing it, assuming they're as comfortable with it as I am. Yes. Ten years of work that kind of came in, you assembled, right? So it's not like you sat down and you're like, okay, I'm going to write a book now. It's like, right. this is stuff that's been true. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, the way so it's like a coffee table book um more uh almost like a um oh i'm trying to think of one it's totally spaced like drift or one of the you know i kind of almost almost magazine style but like nice paper things that you pick up in fancy coffee shops or whatever but uh yeah so it starts with 
I mean, there's photography, like there's all kinds of, there's all, I went through photo albums, there's childhood photography, there's, there's, you know, there's posters from every tour I could think of. There's writing that I have released and writing that I haven't released. There's illustration and stuff that never made it out. There's, um, I did all this handwritten commentary to go through all of the text. So as you're going through it, there will be poems that I have released that are written out, but then a bunch of scribbles all over that being like, okay, well, here's where this line came from, or here's what yeah. I was thinking going into this, or here's how I'm thinking differently about this topic that I wrote about 10 years removed from it. And it was a big project. I mean, yeah. it was, it, it's been, it's been a lot, but yeah. I'm really proud of it. And I'm glad that it happened. Yeah. And I don't know what would have happened if I wouldn't have been forced to have to stay here. <laughs> so I guess that's something I'm grateful for. Yeah. There's something to be said for that, right? Hunker down. Definitely. What do you do with the time now? Exactly. Well, let's get into it a little bit. Let's, I'd love to have you read uh, either a favorite piece or a least favorite piece. Um, like some, the, yeah, Let's get into the book. Tell me, show us the, kind of what does it feel like to be in that book? Um, for the most part, the book works itself out chronologically, beginning with my first record, Werewolves, which I released in 2009, um, and moves its way through five records, I believe. And then in each of those, they're not really broken up into chapters, but in each of those sections, there's photography from those years i've got a bunch of cornerstone festival stuff in here just like old bradley hathaway you know just so many different and then journal entries there's a lot there, there is a good amount that that goes through some of my experience with my dad because i ended up writing a lot about that and then mm -hmm. ended up including uh journal entries and there's some postcards we shot one another back and forth when he was doing mission stuff in asia and mm -hmm. There's venue photos and and uh, you know screenshots of or scans of old journal entries as they were originally written and all oh, that kind of catharsis explosion kind of stuff you know but um, there's a piece at the end given that there's not much of a story this isn't much of a disclaimer but or, or this isn't much of a spoiler but the 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 book sort of finds its conclusion in this thing that I wrote called A Letter to My Former Self. I wrote mm -hmm. it when Brandy and I were on, on tour in Europe a couple of years ago. And um, the premise was I had shared a, I had shared a post on Facebook, um, you know, that they show you your memories. And so I had a memory that popped up about the very, one of the very first shows that I ever played on March 11th of 2009. And it was, it was literally just like my promotion for the show that night. It said, you know, here's all the bands that are going to play. Here's the venue. It's five bucks and I'm going to open it up. And somebody responded asking me, Hey, if you could write a letter to yourself now from where you're at in Europe to that 19 year old kid who was getting ready to play a show in Albuquerque, what would you say? And so I, I, I wrote a lot of things, um, but, but here's, here's one of them. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be coming up on 10 years of living this life before you know it. It will have gone by in both an instant and an infinity. You'll hate it. You'll love it. You'll wish you would have stopped years ago. You'll hope it never ends. You'll burn out. 
you'll keep going. You'll be hitting the 1,000th show marker before too long, if you haven't already, and you'll meet thousands of people along the way. Many of them will become your friends, some even something like family. You'll see that the world is bigger and more complicated than you thought that it was. You'll feel the pain of the box collapsing. You'll watch other people fall apart and you'll do the same and you'll both be in it together. You'll make so many mistakes. You'll sin against so many people and they'll forgive you for it. You'll rebuild. You'll be poor and you'll be better off and it'll keep going back and forth. You'll go to bed on some random hardwood floor while your friends are getting promotions and having children back home, and you'll second-guess everything. You'll tell jokes with your tour mates that are all half-true because humor tempers the moment. And then you'll get up the next day and play a show and love it and have a conversation with someone it means something to, and you'll remember that it matters. Your wife will believe in it and you more than you ever have. And you'll wonder why God allowed you to live life with a person as good as she is. You'll get art and letters and experiences, and sometimes you will even appreciate them. And remember that these years have been miracles. That show you're about to play in 2009 is the start of an absolute miracle. And God will be kind to you, even and perhaps especially when you can't see it at all. Do you remember the first time you like read aloud, like just flat out read a piece of yours aloud? Uh, yeah, actually. Well, the first thing that comes to mind anyway is in a um, it was in a public speaking class at East Mountain High School in Sandia Park, New Mexico, and I hated it and was <laughs> why. I I have so, I I. It's gotten better over the years, although it's still not completely gone, but I just, I have awful stage fright and I've had, yeah, I just, I get so anxious about missing things or I don't know where that's rooted. I don't know if it's more rooted in my own sort of sense of perfectionism or if it's Hmm. more rooted in a fear of embarrassment or something like that. But I, man, I'm just so, I was so fidgety. I, I like walk wiggled and waddled like a damn penguin back and forth across the room. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It was just, yeah. I can, I can still hear every critique and it's kind of funny because when I started performing, I moved way more than I, I started laughing about it when I actually started getting shows and reached out to one of my teachers and said, I still wiggle as much as ever. That's good. That's great. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. High school is what I remember. I mean, it happened before that, but that's when I like started to, think about writing and taking any of this stuff seriously. Yeah. Well, let's do one more. Um, I'd love to hear you kind of wrap it up with, with one, uh, one more. And if it, maybe this could be the one that like, if you had to say, Hey, this is the one, or this is one of the ones that makes the book worth doing. Right. Cause there's always that thing. It's like, I, I have yeah. these things. I want to put them in the world. At some point you made a decision to make a book. Um, yeah. usually there's a piece or a song or whatever that actually says, or a few of them that says like, yeah, this, this needs a special place. It kind of begs for the the artifact as opposed to just push it online. 
Is there yeah. one that's a little bit definitive or more so definitive than others? Well, I mean, the whole book is based off of a poem that I felt encompassed these years. And it's it's one I've been doing a decent amount as a part of this last um, To Write Love on Our Arms campaign, although I'm definitely not opposed to sharing it here as well. It's it's mm-hmm. It's simply called it's all worth living for. And, um, and I'm, I'm happy to share that. I feel that that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, let's do yeah. that. That sounds great. So I suppose it is such because it seems like a good umbrella for my own work and seems to be the, uh, kind of most definitive thing that I, I've come out with that other folks look at and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to stick around for the, mm. um, for the bad as well as the good. Great. Um, so please stay. I just had the most God awful cup of coffee that I have ever had in my life. You've got to try it. I drank it at a local diner charging specialty prices. Like they didn't buy it from Costco. Three weeks ago, in bulk, new three-pound-sized Folgers tubs. Not cans, not cool little third-wave coffee bags. Tubs. Plastic versions of the ones that my great-grandfather used to spit in when I was a kid. Boasting mountain-grown quality since 1850. His half full of saliva and cancer, whose threats amounted to little more than minced words when dementia beat his gums to the punch. Look, eventually we are all going to have to leave, but slow down. Stay a while. Let's not force it. Gigi used to shuffle down the hallway through shag carpet that covered the house with tentacles or a 1,200 square foot trampoline like Jesus, the only name that he never used in vain, gliding over storms to take his friend's hand. The old man would float around the corner and high-five the grandkids with a thin-lipped grin like kid you have absolutely no idea what life is. I want to find out. We had to jump to reach his hand, and the smack of our skin sounded like a pop tab cracking into the morning Budweiser. He'd drink as religiously as you'd sip a cup of coffee at 7 a.m., He's all beautiful and weathered and leather-skinned, like maybe gutting so much of that dip throughout the years, finally began challenging just how much a body can tolerate before it starts to break down. I know you ask yourself that same question all of the time. Spit it out. You're still here. I'm still here and still might be as much of a miracle as here ever was in the first place, so let's not waste it. We are still here to make a memory today, trying to cover up the taste with cinnamon and mocha powder, 
neither of which quite get the burnout, but we know how that goes. You've got enough experience with people trying to tame solar flares with band-aids to know that sprinkling platitudes onto the scars on your arms will not be enough to convince anyone that life is beautiful. Mm. But perhaps the wonder of another human being actually subjecting himself to drink this cup for the sake of being in your presence will. Anyway. I'll tell you all about it if you want me to, but this cup of coffee, God, it is horrible. You've got to try it. I want to hear about your family. Tell me about your great-grandfather and how he got through the Great Depression, and tell me how you'll get through yours. This moment is a part of it. Breathe. I want to high-five my son's son wearing whatever vintage is 65 years from now with beauty and pain and wonder and presence written into the fault lines all over my face like I have made my mistakes. And the earthquakes are real, but they shape you. And the ravines created are gorgeous places to let the sun cast its shadows through. We can hold one another's hands in the process. I'll let you squeeze until mine breaks if you must, but don't let go. Tell me about the love of your life and what color her eyes are and whether their tint seems to change depending upon what she's wearing that day. My wife's fluctuate between special dark and milk chocolate, so not a lot. And she is worth living for. Please stay. I know you need ears to hear that kind of thing. And I know that those kinds of ears are miracles. I know that it's not as simple as simply being committed to either life or death. But while there is still breath in both of our lungs, then there is still time for me to say, please stay. Stay for the wedding. I swear the first glimpse of her rounding the corner like a dream is enough to transform you into everything and nothing at the exact same time. Stay for the reception, for toasts from friends whose lives are better off with you, but willing to subject themselves to the small deaths that all of us experience when we have to forego our jealousy and let the lover in. Stay for the wedding night, all awkward and glorious and vulnerable and naked and unashamed and painful and empty and full and imperfect and absolutely perfect, like the dichotomies you are and always have been, like two becoming something else. Stay for the fights, they're devastating and necessary. And if you are able to temper the moment, then I will be the lightning rod you'll need to strike over a cup of bad, overpriced coffee at 4 a.m. when the couch springs are stabbing you in the back. I won't say a word unless you want me to. Stay for forgiveness in the morning. 
after the sun has gone down on your anger or your sadness or your wanton abandon and mercy still finds his way to meet you when he peeks his head out over the mountains to the east. Stay for every memory that we will embellish around the dinner table until it becomes legend. Not quite the way that it happened, but definitely not a lie. Memorialized and floral, the way that fiction gets at truths like laughter when we tell one another the stories year after year and they grow. And at this point, we are all sure that yes, as a matter of fact, it did rain literal cats and dogs during our darkest nights. And we thought that God was gory, but they are all grace now and life is movement. And we are healing and breaking and making and being made all of the time. This coffee tastes like the bad action movies that my dad used to love. I imagine him, whose absence I feel Every time DC introduces another Clark Kent, who will never quite be Christopher Reeves, gulping that mud down and calling it something absurd like delicious, had he accepted the invitation to stay. The way that I loved to help him light the pilot beneath the hot water heater in the house that we grew up in. Legend. She needs you. He needs you. They need you. We need you. I need you. Please stay. Find what you were made for. I just had the most god-awful cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. You've got to try it. It is all worth living for. It tastes like a morning liturgy and my great-grandfather's high fives. Don't forget that there are voices on the outside of your head, too. And they sound like futures. And carrying the love that you told me about through the front door of your first home together. And hopes. And camping with friends. Making you eat the worm at the bottom of some mezcal bottle that you didn't care for. And dreams. And hiking the blue trail through coastal towns in northern Italy. And stopping for bread and wine that costs less than water along the way. And music. And tucking your daughter to sleep the first night she moves out out of your room and into her big girl bed and love and parking tickets and love and replacing light bulbs in the bathroom and love and the promotion you've been working toward and love and being let go and love and holding your friends close when they are breaking into pieces and love and your friends holding you close when you are breaking into pieces and love and all of the help needed to get there, and love, and being loved, and love, and love, and love, and love, and love. I just drank the most god-awful cup of coffee that I have ever had in my life. Do you want to try it? And thank you for listening to this episode of the Yahtzee Podcast. If you'd like to follow up with Levi the Poet, you can just jump to levithepoet.net, L-E-V-I thepoet.net. And there you can purchase from him directly his brand new book, It's All Worth Living For. It's fantastic. He's fantastic. 
please support this artist. If you would like to back this podcast and keep us doing what we are doing, you can jump to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com and search my name, Justin McRoberts. We'd love to have you on the team. Until next time.